Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 59, with me, Kirsten Nuts, and Nick Kirby, the podcast where we talk about photography, videography, how to make photos, videos, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that. Now, before we meet this week's guest, um, do us a flavor and hit the subscribe button if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, if you're on audio, like, on, I don't know, well, well, we're on like millions and gazillions of different platforms, like Apple Podcasts and all of these other weird podcast platforms. If you're listening on audio, leave us a little star rating, leave us a little review. It will go a long way. Also, head over to cameracheckpodcast.com, hit the join the community button and follow us on there. We love you for that. Anyway, let's get straight into it. This week, we have none other than photographer, author, educator, the man behind the Photo Tour Bruges and that Photo Feeling podcast. Please welcome Mr. Andy McSweeney on the show. Andy, how are you? Good, Kirsten. Thanks for thanks for having me on, man. Wicked, awesome, man. We've been talking about um, about you coming on the podcast for a good few weeks, so I'm really glad to see you. Yeah. See you so you here. must be desperate for a guest. I get it. Oh. Cool, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Ah. So, Andy, you're you've got um, so for, you're wearing a lot of different hats because um, I know you from your podcast that photo feeling but of course we've met on Clubhouse as well and we had a, we had a number of really cool chats mm. um, so and you also obviously you're Canadian over in Bruges in Belgium how did you how did you end up in Bruges good opening question man uh, well it's a long story so I'll give you the somewhat short version if you want to talk about something else for an hour but fundamentally, I originate from Montreal, beautiful Canada, the land of really nice maple syrup and freezing cold. And much as I love growing up there in that city in particular, which is a rocking little place, you'd call it the New York of Canada, if, if I may be so bold, I had the chance at 18 to move overseas due to uh, my father doing business trips and racking up air miles like no man's business. Mm -hmm. And since we didn't have much cash, it was a birthday gift since I was 16. And by the time I was 18, I had to cash them off. So off I went. I also actually, I owe my dad a lot on this. He happens to be from Ireland, so I have EU papers. He had family outside of London, so I was able to stay in Essex and find some jobs and get into catering. And that's just the tip of the adventure because, of course, that's like 26 years ago. But basically, I had the chance to travel the world. And I think the main journey, especially on the photo thing in those early days, was when I found myself in Australia where it was for a girl, of course. Uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> my job visa said change employers every three months, so that's totally fine. I was working in catering at the time, so I made do with that. Mm. But actually, I was thinking with that whole job situation and just catering already in general, much as I loved it and would for 10 years later, I can do a little more than this, I think. So I started bouncing around trying some stuff, and... I ended up with a Nikon FE2 film camera and a 20 millimeter wide angle lens on my hands. Mm. Basically, I took it to a restaurant with a nightclub, asked them if they could take some photos. They said, sure, just show us. And that was on my second roll of film, which I ended up getting paid for. So that was awesome. cracking open the adventure and what the longest part of this story as far as the anecdote goes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I held it on for uh, as much as I could on a backpacker's budget back in those film days. Um, it worked out pretty well. I got to work my process and, you know, just be young and travel and grab photos on the way kind of thing. Hmm. And basically, with with really trying to keep this story short, I put it 
all in a drawer for seven years because I got into music after being a CD DJ in Portugal for a couple of summers. Right. So no cameras whatsoever, just vinyl and seven years of adventure on that, which is a whole story in itself. Yeah. And in 2006, I came back to it and uh, loved it. It was India for the first of four times. And that place gives and gives and gives for photography, especially the street travel variety that I was deep in love with. So when I got back, I didn't look back and followed photography ever since. This doesn't really tell you how I got to Belgium, but I guess covers some ground. I mean, along those adventures, I fell through this beautiful city, mm. worked in a place, traveled on, came back, worked in another place, met the future Mrs. Andy. And actually, I'm, I'm so sorry this is a disjointed story, guys, but we got it going on some of the fo photo info. I'm nervous sure. taking the questions instead of asking. <laughs> 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 Look at me coming on. Oh, yeah, I can handle this. <laughs> but we'll get back to the photo thing. You asked yeah. about your question. We picked up that thread. Let me just say that I was passing through Bruges, worked in a place, took off, worked in a place a couple of years later, met the beautiful future Mrs. Andy, who was from Bruges, took off after both of us were crap at saying anything beyond hi. And then basically fell back here about a year later where I bumped into the future Mrs. Andy again. She had me around for a weekend of fun and hasn't kicked me out in 19 years. <laughs> wow. So, <Lucky> you. <laughs> sorry to get into the photo history side of things, yeah. but that's how I got to Bruges. And you've heard some of the photo adventures on the way. And that also rounds out a little bit the last nine years of Bruges where I started the photo tour uh, under the photo tour Bruges yeah. moniker. So. What? What a story. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that is quite a story. I, I, I went to Bruges myself for the first time um, in awesome. December 2019. So not long ago, not mm. long ago. Went to Brussels okay. and Bruges to go to the Christmas markets with one of my one of my best friends. And mm. what a place. What a town. It's a it magical little corner. Yeah, yeah. Did it, did it do it for you more than Brussels, with no offence to oh, Brussels? yeah. Yeah, oh, by by a long stretch, yeah, it it's... was what a stunning, stunning place to be. It just feels you just feel comfortable there. Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, I've I've been to Brussels a couple of times, but I've only I've only ever driven through Bruges, and I kind of immediately thought, you know, I want to go back there and spend some more time yeah. there. Um, but then, of course, you know, with pandemic and all of that it being what it is, um, that hasn't materialized. But I also mm. know that um, a number of my like camera club buddies. Um, have gone to Bruges on like photo trips um, as they and, should you know, over the last whatever four years or something. Mm. So you know, I didn't take a camera when I was there. Did just, you not? No, no, it just wasn't the right sort of trip. Went went there for the Christmas market. It's like just bad. Just have mm. a good time for a couple of couple of free day, couple of free days. And but I saw all these all these opportunities. I thought, hmm, that'd be a cool photo. Yeah, yeah. There are a few like iconic. Um, sort of locations that you see there are, a yeah. lot, um, you know, on photos. But but you would know all about it. And we're, we're going to talk about um, about that in a minute. Um, I want to come back to um, to your Canadian roots. Do you do you still go over to Canada? I mean, obviously not at the moment. But do you do you sort of travel back and forth still? I do my best. I do my best. I mean, uh, budget is a little bit of a consideration. Mm. The backpacking years, of course, and then opening sure. a business the last nine years. But every couple of years, one of us gets over to the other. 
it's a fairly false, a small family. So it's just really my dad and my sister at this point. Mm. My dad came over a few years ago and that was really lovely. Mm. That was actually right after my sister came over for two weeks. So that spaced it out well. And it's yeah. just, you know, really nice. He's also got Irish roots. So the Belgian beer is good for that extra liver he has to feed every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. luckily enough for the last visit side of things, I am. Um, I got over just before the pandemic in December of 2019 because it was my dad's 75th birthday and I was l lucky enough to be able to finagle that. So yeah. I hopped over for a week, spent some time with him, yeah. ate a ton of North American food because Montreal's real good at that especially and filled the bags with maple syrup and some other junk and headed home. So I got wow. in, yeah. You, yeah. you mean you don't get good maple syrup over in Bruges? Yeah. Well, you know, man, beer, <laughs> beer. We do beer. This is like this is this is a this is a total matter of contention because um, you know I'm like half of my my mom's side of the family are in uh, are uh, live in Canada in Calgary, and um, and my wife's Canadian, and so we you know we argue about maple syrup over here in the UK all the time mm. because half of what they sell as maple syrup <coughs> is not actually maple syrup; it's some um, sugar syrup concoction that's got maybe a little bit of maple syrup in there but it's like 50 percent something else yep yeah you gotta gauge that carefully there's all these grades and i take that stuff uh, very seriously yeah, yeah 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 exactly so you know it's not always what it says on the tin i never have it I, mean, I, I think I, I think I sent you a picture of that. This this one one brand um at Tesco's, which is like a supermarket chain over here, mm. that has like a half a maple leaf on it. And it, it literally half. is only yeah, because it's only half maple syrup and the other half is like I don't know, so the sugar thing. It's just uh, Oh what a con. I know, right? <laughs> what a con. So you can't Tesco sorts it out. You cannot allow that to happen. <laughs> terrible. Terrible. That's British humor at its best, lovely. <laughs> you get off. You get off, right, mate. Right. Off. right. So yeah. <laughs> Sorry to insult your nation with that accent. What could I do? I got three years of London London under me to try not to be too shameful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where where else did you live when you lived in London? You said you mentioned Essex earlier. Yeah, mate, that, uh, that was where I started. I had some uh, family out in Gray's aunt and uncle and a couple of cousins. Mm -hmm. And, well, now we're back on the journey of travel. Uh, basically, I was 18, had a bike, and had just come off some bike courier work, so my legs were up for it. I'd cycle into London and back for jobs. Right. And I got my first pub job with accommodation that stopped all that nonsense because the guy said, uh, I couldn't say no to someone who's who's going to come in all those miles just on a bicycle for a pub job. So, yeah, I lived there. I lived in Maida Vale as the first little corner mm -hmm. of London I got to know, which is cool. old school, white mansions, little canals, gorgeous yeah. stuff. Then I bounced around a lot. I also got out of catering, so eventually I had proper flats. But uh, let's see, everywhere from around Finsbury Park to South London to especially West London. I lived in Labrick Grove for about a year and a quarter through yeah. a really cool pub there. That's when yeah. I had purple hair and was totally single, too. So I had some good fun on that side of things. Yeah, I used to, I used to live in Labrick Grove, actually. Just oh, on the corner oh, of Labrick Grove and Westport Park Avenue is where Oh, I no way. That's where the pub was. You, what was it called? It was called, well, it's it's had a few names and they've torn it down and put apartments up there. But when I worked there, it was called the Frog and Firkin. That was oh, a Frog UK and chain. Yeah, it, that's a, was it a chain? Yeah, it was a chain. And yeah. they took so, over from these these really dodgy dudes who had it at, uh, beforehand who ended up having the pub busted on live TV. 
Oh, it was like a real character pub. They cleaned it up. Right. We worked there. I, I worked there for a good like year and a half altogether, either front or backstage. And uh, then I found out like five years ago they tore it down, put up a block of flats. Yeah, mm. the the Firkins chains was. I mean, it was massive in in the UK for the longest time. Was it? No. And they yeah. they uh, they stopped oh, quite a few years ago now, and they all got shut. Half of them got taken over by other pubs and other yeah. chains and whatnot, and then the yeah. other half just they like that it just went got torn down. Oh, As amazing. things do. The Small world, man. Brilliant. Small yeah. world. <laughs> Which I'm sure your photography listeners are thrilled for. This is the kind of stuff I do. Hey, we always say this. We eventually will eventually <laughs> get to photography. Yeah, you know, about some point, maybe. <laughs> Better than talking about me. Well, <laughs> cool. So, um, so yeah. So t- tell me a little bit about about your photo tours in in Bruges, because um, I obviously I check. Obviously, I had a look at your website and I had a look at. Um, you know your uh city photography um on that and um and bruce is you know in in the photography circles is known as a place that really has a lot to offer for photographers mm-hmm. um and uh so th- there were a number of because you've got to you've got to split up into like different tours yeah yeah there's four tour tours in total one of mm-hmm. them's a night one but three of them run through the day and they all have separate themes yeah so what's what is your like prime destination in Bruges? Like, you mean my the, favorite the, tour? Sort of the, like the hidden, I mean the hidden gem that anybody would, that nobody would know about, but it's like the secret gem to photograph. Yeah, yeah. Well, my I, I jumped to what's my favorite tour because I've been asked it so much over the last nine years when they're going to pick. I would say the hidden Bruges tour because I think anywhere you go, you got to go for the most local and off the beaten track side possible. As far as my favorite spot in Bruges to photograph, it's actually really tricky because, I mean, for context, just in case no one's Googled this for a few images or popped over to the site, it's a really beautiful old school neo-Gothic city, especially on the historic side. They had glory days with their port and shipping and everything, and it was a bit of a renaissance. That's part of where the Flemish uh, primitives as a painting movement got their their ground was in Bruges. And basically, it's been spared through war, so a lot of it is authentic or built to the style of the neighbor for a nice unification. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, with that sort of stuff at hand and knowing it pretty intimately from doing tours for nine years, it's it's tricky to pick one spot where it's really my favorite. Mm. The funny thing for me, I mean, if you want a location, I, oh, well, as a street photographer, I love the Berg which is right off the market square. Mm. You sit up there, it's a smaller square than the market, so I find nicer to manage, especially if you want some of that old school background behind you. And it's really more the heart of the city where people pass through. So you do get the groups of tourists in normal times, but you also get all the locals. Mm. So, I mean, location-wise for landscapes, there's a hundred, but if I had to pick one, my street photographer would reach for that. Well, it's an interesting mix. I always think like, you know, with, with photo tours like that, I always feel like it's a really interesting mix of like almost like different genres because you've got the architectural side on one hand, because, mm. you know, especially in a place like Bruce, you have all these incredible, you know, buildings and facades and all that, you know, and bridges and, and, and all of that happening. But at the same time, of course, you can approach it totally from a street photographer's point of view and focus on the people there. So I always find, it, you know, it's, it's a really interesting kind of blend of, um, of, 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 photographic genres and challenges as well you know yeah how um obviously you've been doing these for quite a number of years now how, how do you keep it fresh for yourself 
because it's oh, you, you know what I mean. That's that's quite challenging, mm. I bet. And you know, because you want to keep the same level of enthusiasm for each photographer that comes comes through, Absolutely. but you also don't want them to miss out, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's a great question, Nick. Because I mean, this isn't this isn't London. You can walk one end of the city center or the the ring of the city in like half an hour, and that would include definitely hidden routes away from the tourist centers, if mm-hmm. you will. So, and I get asked this, and I'm going, or I have gone through this, and I'm still going through this a bit. But fundamentally, I mean, first and foremost, for the tourist side of things, the routes that I do over and over again, especially mm-hmm. over the years, I focus on the guests. It's right. it's all about them. I mean, that's my job anyways. I'm lucky enough through through design, but actual, you know, the universe providing it, I get total beginners to absolute pros. So with that breadth of experience and everything, I really get to like just be inspired as a photographer myself. Mm-hmm. And also just as an instructor on the side of things that no one is more surprised that is part of the tour than me. I mm-hmm. thought this would be a location guide thing at the beginning, but people like how I talk about this stuff. Uh, basically, just helping people out. I mean, if you're an absolute beginner and you're shown basic composition, how to go brighter and darker on your smartphone, already that's a breakthrough. And since I use the iPad to show them photos while I'm there, mm-hmm. uh, that helps connect a lot of the dots. You try and yeah. teach someone to sing. Or, or a song, it's hmm. better, I find, to play this song and let them riff off of that until they start finding their own style, especially beginners. But then you get to intermediates. Some of them are just trying to crack through levels of progress in one way or another. So I'm trying to sniff that out. And, you know, to your question, it keeps me entertained, stimulated, because I'm loving this educating side of things. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I, I'm, like I said, no one's more shocked than I that I've got a good touch with this, apparently. I'm, I'm Irish Canadian, so I'm always like effacing myself just by the way. (laughs) But uh, back on point, basically, you know, doing that with the intermediates, I find especially stimulating because I think fundamentally I'm still around that level as far as being a photographer on where I want to get. So there's a lot of common ground to cover through the job. I, I probably know at least five tricks that I can slide over to them to crack open. And with the pros, since I can talk their language and I'm one of them on a commercial level uh, and they like the work enough and I gain their trust, we either end up talking advanced technique, advanced gear occasionally, but usually it's, it's, it's technique, industry, or let's just shoot together a little more, put away the iPad and let's just really be the, you know, do the photo dynamics. I refer to it as a photo buddy. You know, mm-hmm. when they know exactly what they're doing, I'm I'm there to be that dude to hang out with them. Yeah. And that I can't believe I get paid for, especially at that level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, on that end of things, I don't get bored. And there is a second part of this, especially as a photographer, because I try and keep active, obviously, as a photographer, mm. not just nail down some landscapes and then call it a day on the iPad for the next 20 years. Mm. I go back to places, I do things over again. Certainly the Four Seasons would be like a really simple bouncing off point on that. But also things change around Bruges, even slightly. So I try and document that stuff. I go to a lot of events because there's surprisingly a good amount of them here. Every year, for example, we we march around what they would say is the blood of Jesus through through the city, full costume, full parade of the Ascension and everything. So, I mean, even if it's the same thing every year, you're not going to get bored. Uh, and then just further levels like street photography, community photography, which if you want, that's definitely a word to come back to because I do a lot of that for 
for taking photos of people's lives to document it, but also the city hall, especially over the last year with lockdown. Mm. And well, like lockdown, for example, I went back to the landscapes and to dig out a positive story from all the crap of everything emptying out. I took photos of landscapes emptied out like they never have been. Yeah. Broke out the super wide and do something different there. I think that, you know, that turned out to be a really great photographic opportunity. I, I think around the world, you know, especially like London. I remember Absolutely. a friend of mine went into London, like at the, you know, the depths of, of lockdown over here, like when it was as bad as it would get. Um, yeah. And it's just, you know, it's incredible to see, you know, Piccadilly Circus or Trafalgar mm. Square devoid of people. And, you know, like, when are you ever going to see that again? Yeah. Unless you use a really super long exposure time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. especially like that time of year and everything for smaller cities. Bruges, we get a couple of months of the year where it's pretty quiet. Like usually the... November and January are real, real down. Right. But in spring and full bloom and all this stuff, I mean, yeah. part of the book was, or part of the series with the uh, Unlocked for Light with the, with the landscapes mm. was to get locations in three in the afternoon light if, if I wanted, because mm. I could never do that with the crowd around and just document Bruges as a pure yeah. story. But I wished I had been in London because I know that city very intimately. I lived there for three years total. I was a bicycle courier for at least half of that. Mm. And I was on the tube maybe a dozen times. So I, I have a pretty good A to Z in my head. Yeah. All that stuff for me is just critical as a photographer if you, if you have the chance at all to document it. Because, yeah. uh, I mean, it's a part, it's going to be a major event of the 21st century. Yeah. And yeah. I, oh, I could yeah. ramble about that for now. <laughs> I tell you what, what, um, what we were attempting to do at the very beginning, like back in back in March, when you know the 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 first lockdown was announced over here in the UK, um, because we thought you know it's going to be like six weeks tops, you know, we kind of thought you know, well, give it a month, six weeks, the whole thing's going to be over, yeah. and um, and so my wife and I thought it'd be a good idea to create a vlog type of a thing and to document our feelings and like uh, you know our kids feelings and how we how we would deal with the whole situation as a family because i've got three kids um you know aged from well at that time from between eight and 17 um and so we thought it'd be interesting to record how this whole thing affects them you know over time of course little did we know that this was going to be going on for like a year and a half mm. um and so the day after the the lockdown was announced, the first lockdown was announced. Um, I thought it'd be a good idea to to kick the whole thing off by filming my wife and my kids and literally interview them and ask them some, you know, rudimentary questions about how they were feeling. Nice. Um, and I thought it was a really good idea until it got to the editing stage. And I tell you what, I couldn't even get through the edits. It was too hard. It was mm. too hard. And I haven't been able to watch that back since then. It's just terrifying. And so, mm. you know, like after about two days of thinking about it, I kind of thought, I just I actually can't do that. <laughs> Give it to me. I'll edit it for you. Oh, man. It was just, you know, like it, it was because it was the unknown. I think the the unknown factor was the terrifying thing at the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the very beginning when like my kids were trying to make sense of this whole thing. And of course, you know, my eight-year-old was making sense of it in a different way from from my 17-year-old or, or, you know, and then of course interviewing my wife and her worries about what would happen, you know, to us as a family and the kids and all that. 
you know, it was it yeah. was uh, it went way too deep. It cut way too deep, way too quickly, and I kind of thought. I'm going to have to leave that project <laughs> there. <laughs> That's like, uh, yeah, no. yeah. And I remember editing, like doing the basic uh, assemble edit. And I just went, nope. <laughs> Can't go any further with this. So. That, that can be part of it as a photographer. I mean, mm. I mean, very different level of things. Although, although it's, it hurts the heart when my, um, we had three of the coolest cats ever and they all worked as a trifecta. And of course, especially when one gets to 21 years of age, you got to say goodbye on the way. Mm. We don't have kids and the wife really loves her animals. And I do too. I mean, it's a very, you know, it's they're basically your kids without mm. it being lame. Yeah. And every time the cats have passed so far, I've uh, documented it. And I can't even look at those photos. And I certainly couldn't show them to my wife and put them yeah. public and everything. So this sort of stuff, I mean, this is, this is where you get to the hard, hard nuts yeah. of of documentary photography. It's why some people choose landscapes and non-people work fundamentally yeah. as you can yeah. be putting yourself in there. In India, I saw some stuff that, I mean, and I ca caught it on the camera as much as possible with taste, uh, that, that you know, especially if you're a Western mind who hasn't been exposed, exposed to a rougher environment, hmm. it's difficult. Yeah. Poor kids, different hygiene habits. Yeah, you know, I'm absolutely. not pooping on India in the least. I loved it. I right. went there four times, mm. but it's part of what you have to come to peace with. And yeah. even looking at it photographically can be painful. So I don't blame you on uh, yeah. on holding back to, come to, to edit it up. Revisit yeah. it in a couple of years if you need to. Just don't well, delete it. It's, you know, and that's exactly what I, the decision that I came to at the time was I just couldn't, you know, I just couldn't deal with it. Right then, and I kind of thought, but I'm not going to delete all the footage. I'm just going to leave it on a hard drive, and maybe in a few years' time, I'll get back to it, you know, exactly. and and then we'll see where where we are. You know, I mean, it'd be, it'd be interesting to to kind of review that now, you know, a year and a half later. Now you know where things have gone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, and of yeah. course, we all gotten used to the situation yeah. to some degree, and you know, um, I mean, you know, all it's things still considered, tough. Yeah, yeah, it's tough, but you know, all things yeah. considered, uh, you know, we can really we uh, as a family we can consider ourselves lucky because we haven't lost anyone, you know, mm. and so um, at least in that respect, it's you know, it's gone relatively mm -hmm. relatively well. Um, but yeah, it's definitely yeah. definitely one to remember. How uh, where did you travel in India? All over the place, mostly in the so southern half. Yeah. Uh, we went there four times for a year and a half in total, so it was a pretty oh, substantial wow. stay. Good. Yeah, I, we liked India quite a lot. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful over there. I mean, like I said, there's some hard stuff, but the beauty outshines it all. Uh, it, this was by the point of uh, having Mrs. Andy in tow. In fact, we were together a good three to five years by then. We went first in 2006 and started in Mumbai, then headed south, got violently sick on my wife's side, pulled over for a week, and then we're found, and then we're basically shown this tiny little beach paradise that I'm not going to name on air so it doesn't get flooded. That was like Goa 40 years ago. So that was oh. our main base throughout oh. those four stays in one way or another. Uh, yeah, two minutes from the beach, private little house, uh, hammock. Dogs hanging around, mm. scooter. To, well, the last trip especially, we didn't do any traveling. We stayed there for three months and mm. totally relaxed. And as a photographer, dove into the area more. Mm. But before that last trip and that first contact there, we did a lot of the south in one way or another. There was 
Huh, let's see. Well, the cities I found quite interesting, especially, again, as a street photographer. Mm. So um, starting in Mumbai, Bangalore is a mega city with a lot of Western mm. touches was interesting. Mm-hmm. Mangalore is a smaller Indian city, not far from Bangalore, and that kicked ass because it's got a really nice just energy overall, a lot of, a lot of uh, agriculture nearby, so the food's mm. just killer. Uh, well, I think of the substantial stops, I, it'd be silly if I didn't mention that not far from Mangalore, even though we did go much more around India, including the north, like Taj Mahal and all that, was the second stay we discovered a Tibetan refugee camp with a Buddhist monastery, in fact, quite a few of them, as you can imagine, and spent three of our six months in that corner without even really studying Buddhism too heavily. It was just... A really nice area. It was uh, a different speed than India. There's mm-hmm. there's a little more development in certain areas that make things a little more comfortable. And most critically, as a photographer, they didn't mind me wandering around their uh, monk campuses and taking photos and doing my thing. In fact, that led to the second trip to India where I went there on my own, at least at first. The wife joined me later mm-hmm. to document it in a giving it a go as a National Geographic kind of photographer, you know, living out cool. the McCurry impulses. Because they gave me more access and I was able to uh, really get into things. In fact, it was also an interesting moment because the um, the, the the Rinpoche, the, the, the head monk of the place, who in Buddhism nowadays is basically equal to or barely second to the Dalai Lama, he passed away, so I got a document. I got to document the huge funeral service they did around it, and all that sort of stuff. Ah. So that's a large part of India for me. And like I said, I mean, bouncing around certainly big places, small. Mm. Went down to Tamil Nadu. Went down to Kerala. Third trip was almost exclusively north, so we could see that side of things. Mm. Taj Mahal is just as beautiful as you would think. And beyond that, it's an interesting city around it too because you're dumped in India. Mm. And Varanasi, if you're up in the north, if you're fishing for tips, is amazingly stunning and just, whoa. I mean, for everything of India, including and up to especially there, burning bodies so that they can escape reincarnation cycles by being in the Ganges to Westerners of the hippie variety usually hanging out, doing all sorts of stuff, going to the mm. Beatles ashram, kick-ass times overall. Mm. Yeah, India I could also talk about for a while. And I, if I'm going to add anything to that before I do ramble on too far, if you're a street photographer who's scared shitless of the world, go to India because it will you'll you'll basically notice how they're not shy about the camera. So if you can yep. hack that change in environment, I think you'll be yep. richly rewarded and you'll learn to get over yourself like I did. That's couldn't <laughs> be more true. I'm so jealous. I'm oh. so, so jealous. Because I, I used to travel to India for work. Um, mm. So I used to work in corporate for many, many years. And um, right around that sort of time as well, 2006. And I must have traveled over there maybe... Um, seven or eight times. I, f- I forget exactly now. Do you want to tell us yeah. who you worked for? There's no big secret. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know how enough. I worked for Amazon for 15 years. The reason, oh, the reason why I'm saying this, I read today that apparently Jeff Bezos is getting himself He's shot finally up going into space. space with yeah, his brother, yeah. isn't he? He's yeah. doing it. Yeah. yeah. That bloody time. Well, he's been at <laughs> it for too long. Man. And so, so I was over there for a long time, but the work schedule was so grueling while I was there 
that I had no opportunity to go anywhere else. So I ended up in Bangalore, funny enough, Great and city. Hyderabad for oh, all of those awesome. trips. And so it's very city-based. And I wasn't into photography mm. then mm. either. And I'm gutted because I, I think back to those times there that had I been able to have more of a trip out there, mm. had I been into ph- photography like I am today, I would have been in, yeah, it's just a, it's like a sweet shop, you know, it just would have been fantastic mm. to go out and document whatever you can. And I'm so jealous that you had the opportunity to do that in the way that you did. It must have been incredible. It was. It was everything I hoped for and more, especially that last trip where we didn't travel around, just stayed around the beachy hippie area. And uh, we had a little scooter restaurant. I mean, breakfast for two at a nice restaurant is about a pound 50 to give you your currency. Mm. You go to salt fields in the afternoon, you do day trips to wherever. I mean, that's that's a little piece of paradise that I'm definitely going to have in my mind for whenever I'm not getting holidays and such. But mate, to also help you get resolution on all that, things are going to open up again and India ain't far. And you also have contacts there now, I'm guessing, who have said, when you come back to India and have time, you must come with me. We'll go for cha. We'll do this. We'll do that. I'll show you this. I'll show you that. Because that's how Indians especially roll. So that's just down to you waiting out lockdown and booking a ticket, my friend. You're absolutely (laughs) right. And, you know, two two of my most favourite experiences while I was there was visiting um, two, two... two separate um, people's families' homes mm. for 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 dinner, and I've never met more welcoming people than ev- literally every single individual I met in India. It was incredible. So, if photography aside for a minute, if you've never mm. travelled to India or you think, oh no, it's not somewhere, you're, you're wrong. You are wrong. It is a place everybody should visit. It is eye opening beyond belief. It. Yeah will show you a side of the world you don't get to see over here. Mm. And you get to see some of the most luscious, rich kind of areas that you can possibly imagine. And five seconds down the road, you see the poorest of the poor that you could, you you have never even imagined before. And mm. it gives you a perspective on the world that you just can't get anywhere else. It is so different. And the number of people... <laughs> It's so overwhelming on the senses constantly. You know, yeah. every every time you open your eyes or you blink or you move your head, there is someone else there or there's 50 more people there. Mm-hmm. And it's, or there's another sound going on that you weren't expecting or there's another cow walking past you. It's yeah. just overwhelming in the senses. Yeah. So if you can handle it there and you can get through that, you can get through Anything, I promise. Yep. I say, it sounds like my house in the morning. Scared <laughs> 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 with some other kid or animal yeah. hanging around. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but you got to have that Bollywood beat to it. Yeah, <laughs> it is, yeah. So who's the cow walking past? Well, <laughs> I can't reveal that in public. Don't answer. Don't answer. Don't answer. Well, like- I will say, I, I have to say quickly to India, that's all true and more. And, uh, I'd say also, especially if you get some time in India, it, you find out so much about India and the fa- the people there are just so welcoming. That's also why I say for street and photos, yeah. tip of the iceberg. You're going to be invited in people's houses without without fail multiple times over. But it's it's 
they just let everything hang out there. So you yep. get to see a world where there's less reservation for better or ill of stuff being out there, even when it's not always talked about, because there's, of course, some pride and reservation towards the tougher stuff. Mm. But I think also just critically, it, anyone who goes to India for a good amount of time, sometimes even just a week, and let's say you're freaked out, book your ticket home, India is the country that teaches you a lot about yourself. Mm. You're going to have to face yourself in one way or another, whether it's good or bad, especially with the tougher stuff, you know, whether it's, uh, I don't want to list it off, but you know, some of the hygiene quirks, some of the troubles with getting kids away from the streets and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you're going to have to face that and then think about it and think your position in life. And I mean, this is assuming you have half a brain, obviously, but mm. that's what I think India gives you the most. You get to see the place left, right, center, whether you want to or not, and you better because it's worth it. But then you leave thinking about yourself too. Mm. Wow. Mm. Book your ticket. Book your ticket. So Camera Shake podcast listeners, you weren't expecting to get life lessons like that today, were you? Also, if you are in India and you're listening to this podcast right now, get ready because um, you know we'll, we'll be paying you a visit before you know it. And if there are people that I know in India right now listening... <laughs> <laughs> I would like to know about it. <laughs> so would if, I. So would I. You guys aren't shy. Let them know. If, <laughs> if you are the one person listening to this podcast in New Delhi, get ready. <laughs> Sorry, Steve, is that you? <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Hi, Steve. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, did you say you were shooting film when you were in India? Yeah, back in the day. Uh, that was right. the first trip, though. I was transitioning. I'd, uh, it was a good time to take off photography for seven years with the music when i came back digital sensors were starting up yeah. so a nikon d70 six megapixels cc ccd sensor the older school yeah. that still worked very nice that and i brought along some 35 mil just in case especially since i was just coming back to photography i wasn't quite trusting these sensors yet yeah. uh but actually surprisingly the d70 delivered really nicely and uh, as much as I'm an analog kind of guy, I mean, when I did music, you can see some in the background, 1,200 vinyls still in the house, even after 10 years of not touching it. Uh, but I do love that benefit of digital, especially if you're starting off or coming back to it, that you can really roll through stuff. I mean, India also just has a treasured place in my heart because I was coming, coming off seven years of music. And I'm I'm a better photographer than a DJ, so it's not like I was getting huge success. I was getting a few gigs here and there, and it was going all right. But fundamentally, on that second day, and I guess this is also a reflection of seeing yourself—not even the second day, the 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 first day proper—we go out of the hotel. It's either left or right, as a guess. Left would have taken us to the center of town. Right was it was the rest of the city. We ended up in some really local areas, and I fired off a couple shots of of. Uh, of people I was talking to, because I would just go up and say, hi, can I take your photo? Mm. And I saw that same magic from the same, from the second roll of film, even though I'd been so cold. So India really helped me regain that momentum and also build a body of work, especially since digital, you know, you didn't have to pay a fortune to develop the film, print it up one by one, send it off, that sort of thing. Well, it's always, mm. I mean, I always think, you know, when I, when I think about those, you know, times of film and, um, you know, and trips like that. I mean, I'm guessing you're really, cause you're not, you're not really developing the film whilst you're on your trip, I guess. I'm guessing you're taking all that home and then develop it afterwards. So you get to uh, wait for quite a long time until you actually see the results. Is that right? 
Ideally, ideally. And it is definitely a drawback that I don't miss so much. Um, but in India, when especially that first trip in the extreme heat for six months, I didn't really have that luxury. And whatever country I'm in, I'm not trusting my only roll of film to the postal system. So I, yeah, uh, I'd uh, have it developed on the spot. I actually, unfortunately, lost a couple of rolls because they didn't. They swore they knew black and white, but then did that, black, that that black and white that also you can develop in color yeah. every time. Mm-hmm. But overall, I'd just have it developed over there. Especially, still, two thousand six film was reasonably around, especially in the tourist areas. Mm. But trips after that, digital only. It was just so much more efficient and simpler. And by that time, it was the second trip D200, again with the D200, again with the D200. Oh, wait, no, what am I saying? First trip D70, then D200, then D90, which was a great little lineup from Mm. Nikon at the time, and then again D90. And Mm. it's also a statement to that camera that survived seven months in India through those trips. Through those oh. two trips with me, because I'm not <laughs> <Yeah>. gentle. <laughs> Are you still shooting Nikon? Yeah, yeah, I am. I use it uh, for my full frame needs. I have a Nikon D800 that also just won't die, no matter what the hell I do to it, or <laughs> throw at it, or throw it at. Uh, and that's really useful for a lot of situations. I mean, obviously, full frame dynamic range, extra pixels on that side of things with 36, even though it's a little bit old, it certainly serves its purpose. Lenses like my Zeiss 15 millimeter for the interior architecture work or outside too is great. But over the last few years, actually, it's about five years now, I've taken on the Fujifilm X-Mount system. Mm. So I have currently an X-T2 and X-E2 I sold my X-Pro1 because I was never using it. Mm-hmm. And I plan to uh, probably stay within that system or both systems, depending on how it all pans out over the next little while. Yeah. We can really camera nerd on that one if you want. I think yeah. we have Kristen <laughs> on Clubhouse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, kind of, we're kind of in the same boat. Cause I, you know, I shoot Nikon for, for really all the professional stuff. Um, yeah. But I love my little Fuji. I have an X100F, which is um, obviously a fixed lens um, series, but I just love it. Um, but literally, I take that camera out every day. It's literally on my desk every day um, you know, for a variety of different things. Results are cracking. Yeah, they are. Um, it's you know, it's such a fun. It's just a fun camera to to, to use. I took it on a ho- on holiday. I went on Hollybobs. I've just come back from uh, what we call Hollybobs. Well, my mm. wife calls it Hollybobs. The only person in the country who calls it Holly Bobs. Apparently so. This is well, I didn't know this, but apparently so. <laughs> so this was like this is our first little getaway um for well we figured for two years. Mm-hmm. Um so we managed to get away for a few days, you know, without the kids. Well, we took the favorite child, aka the dog, um, with us, but everybody else stayed home. <laughs> so it was good. Um, but at first, my original plan my literally my original plan was like we're going to Devon. There are awesome beaches, like incredible countryside. We're staying in a log cabin, true Canadian style. And uh, nice. so I thought, right, I'm packing my D750. I'm going to take a strobe. I'm going to take sandbags, you know, mm-hmm. cement Frodo stand. You know, I'm going to like, I've got some great ideas for some really awesome photos, right? What happened that morning? Well, that morning, my wife said, you're not taking all that stuff. <laughs> like, of course. Uh, yeah, she goes, like, she goes like, we're going on holiday. You want to spend some time with me? And I'm like, okay, actually, you know what? Fair enough. And then I kind of thought, you know what? 
I'm going to go the exact opposite way. I'm going to go super minimalist. And all I'm going to take is just the X100. That's it. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. Um, and uh, and it turned out really well. It actually, it turned out really well. You know, I took it to the beach. Um, I took some really awesome shots. It was great. Super fun. It's, and you fit right in at the beach near the sea with your, your Fuji because you've got... The old rope strap, haven't you? Yes, correct. That's yeah. um, I've gone totally retro on that one, <laughs> for sure. Not 100%. a bad thing. <laughs> With your leather case. <laughs> well, I was uh, that that place. What was it called? Saunton, Saunton Beach or something? Oh or yeah, that, yeah, something. yeah a bit of a, a bit of a hipster town. So I did fit right. Uh, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. Nice, nice, nice. Well, nice. The, the X100V, I've borrowed that from the camera shop, and Fujifilm Belgium also lend me gear. Luckily, I'm, they like my work without me having to be an ambassador. That's a bit of a story. Uh, the That camera is designed to be fun and on hand, like on your desk, without being imposing in the whole thing. And yeah. family holiday, especially for a photographer, I mean, my favorite camera on, ha- uh, on holiday is like an Instax I bring all my gear and I have yeah. some fun. I, the X system makes it a little bit smaller and lighter to go. Mm. Uh, but I also grab the wife's Instax camera because it just strips away all this complication and work. And to me, the X100V, I mean, and they've stated that their philosophy is basically strip it right down to the core. And on top of it, I mean, this is working off a legacy of all those fixed 35 millimeter cameras that so many companies did back yeah. in the day. Uh, and And it does especially the V with all the hardware really coming into place and the refinement, that camera really justifies its 1300 euro price tag. It is just in the zone. And you go on a holiday and you're like stripped away from all your crap as a photographer. Excuse me, I love my crap, but right now it's crap. And you just go to like, oh, it's in my pocket. I go, no zooming, no choices. I can even put it on auto and not feel guilty because I'm on holiday. Exactly. That's where the magic comes in, and isn't it? That's exactly it. I mean, that's exactly mm-hmm. why I got it in the first place was because I wanted to, I wanted to strip down everything that I had because I realized, you know, when when you go out with with the kids or you go on a trip or whatever, you, know, you take your DSLR and a bunch of lenses because you think like a photographer. You go like, right, I want to take twenty four to seventy, yeah. but I also want to take just a fifty mil uh, prime, <laughs> and I mean, you know. You need 70 to 200 because, you know, it might be a bird or something flying around that you need, you know. And so before you know it, you're actually taking like a whole, like a whole hard case of gear yeah. with you, which you'll never take out. I mean, even, even, even if I only have um, a DSLR uh, and, you know, with one lens on it, like the 2470 yeah. or like, the, what is it, the Nikon 24 to 120? You know, that sort of... Yeah, the 24 f4 That's a great lens. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, a great lens. like a runaround lens. I tell you what, the only thing that annoys me about this, though, is that when, you know, like, the, the barrel comes out, mm. when you drop it down, it's seriously annoying. That is The fact that you can't lock the barrel in is oh, just God, not that, cool. That not cool at all. Yeah. That's a total deal breaker for me mm. with that lens because the results are actually really quite good. Mm. Like They should know better a little bit. That's where I get my issues sometimes with some, yeah. of, these, some of these companies' because releases. It's, because it's such, a, it's such a stereotypical walk-around tourist lens yeah. for those, you know, sort of advanced photographer people, yeah. you know, who like to take big cameras on holidays intermediate and above yes exactly right yeah 
But it's yeah, just the absolutely. fact that that barrel comes out when when it's hanging down. You know, gravity, but basically pulls the thing out. It's just that doesn't do. They it really. should know better too, because their original eighteen to two hundred for the crop system that did that all the time. You can yeah. fix this on any camera, by the way, by getting one of those plastic bracelets. Oh yeah, the and just putting yeah, right. it right right on the turn. That's but right, I mean, yeah. the eighteen two hundred, the second version had lock switch. So yeah. why isn't this common to all their right. cameras where there's even a chance of this? Exactly. Especially a wander around camera. I mean, you, it, even if yeah. you're a pro, this is a bit of a holiday relaxed camera. So what's, what do you need this barrel poking at and yeah, yeah, judging exactly. them to the kids? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, even I have like an old, um, it's a Sigma zoom lens um, mm. for the APS-C system, uh, which, which even has a lock switch. So, you know, yeah. it's like... Nikon, what's Come the deal with on. that? Seriously. Anyway, so um, I can't remember where I was going with this. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I, I basically I bought the I bought the X100 because I wanted to. I realized I didn't mm. actually take any photos. Really, you know, we'd go on like trips, you know, with the kids and whatever, and I would never take the camera out because it was always way too much kerfuffle to actually dig it out of the backpack and like yeah. it's just too much, mm-hmm. too much. To do so, you end up going on a trip. You carry this thing around. It's like, you know, a dead weight on your in your backpack, and you never actually end up using it. So I kind of figured, you know, um, if I go for a smaller system, like something that doesn't give me any choices, like a fixed lens type of a thing, because I know that as soon as I have the option of having interchangeable lenses, I will take two or three lenses with me. So yeah. since I switched to Canon, everywhere I go, I pretty much take take camera. I take the R six with me mm-hmm. almost everywhere. Yeah. Unless it's a job, I attach a 35 now. Yeah, you love the 35, right? And mm. the, I attach it and I take it mm. attached. And that's it. That's all I'm taking yeah. now. Yeah, I've started doing that. It's lens, great. Oh, yeah, that's a sweet lens. It's gorgeous. Mm. It's gorgeous. Love that thing. Yeah. And I, I know for exactly those reasons, because I'm liable to... My other lenses are so, so heavy. Yeah. So they're all 82 mil and they're just really really heavy mm. and I, I can't be doing with that my back's yeah. bad enough as it is yeah maybe r6 is, is a good choice actually it's a decent camera it's small it's tiny mm. it's Ken's, light Ken's done a nice job tiny. on that on the r6 uh, i was just going to say the r6 even though i don't shoot with it i try all this stuff mm. and that's very well executed i think they're on a nice upwards curve right now at canon oh, oh yeah yeah definitely and smaller and lighter. I mean, this is why I went to Fuji instead of waiting for Nikon to put a, put out a serious mirror, mirrorless solution. It was mm-hmm. partly for the tech. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Convenience of what you see is in what you shoot, as mm-hmm. what you shoot, whatever. That's great. But at the end of the day, it's smaller and lighter. I mean, I'm right now. I've got my XT2 hooked up. I'm looking at this thing with the grip, and it's uh, if I I've, I usually use a 14 mil lens, so 21 millimeter equivalent. You mm-hmm. can practically just almost to the pocket like the x100 or at least on a harness tuck it under and you know through the tour guys this is a common affliction throughout all of our community especially like i find intermediate and advanced we're getting into these serious gears you get the you get the the segment of photographers too who don't get much time with their photography so holiday is a huge window you're like I paid a thousand five hundred for this lens. I got to take it with me, mm. and then suddenly you're not just weighing yourself down with the gear physically. You're really baggaging yourself up in the head. Yeah, yeah. And and I, when I get when I get guests like that on tour, uh, usually if they like what they see, they come for a second tour because I do open tours, private tours. So budget isn't so much of a push at that. If you want to do a repeat, that's not a plug. It's just the way it is. 
Uh, I usually get these guys to go back to the hotel, dump all their all their gear, and I'll lend them my Fuji or maybe even an Instax, and I totally strip them away from everything right, except right. something obviously decent that they can play with. Yeah. Uh, and it always helps. It always helps. I'll bring a couple lenses with me, and I'm like, you can change once or twice, but I've got a 35 mil equ equivalent on there. I've got a 50 in my pocket, and if you want, you can uh, you can have the wide angle. But you're good enough that you don't need a zoom lens right now. And if anything, we're trying to strip it away as much as possible. And you know, emotionally, I can see them already like, oh, I'm getting away with it. You know, to getting away from all this baggage in the <laughs> yeah. mind. But at the same time, they're spine straightening because they're actually free. This friggin' backpack <laughs> full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it really does literally free you up. It's a massive, literally a weight off your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, oh, which lens do I want for it? Does, doesn't matter because you've only got one. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter. You've got yeah. to go with that. That's, yeah. that's, that's really what I love about the Fuji is that I actually want to shoot with it all the time. So, you know, I, I came, I've come back with like tons and tons and tons of pictures mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have taken had I taken the Nikon gear. Yeah. You know, yeah. I probably would have like spent a whole evening creating some elaborate environmental portrait or something that my wife would have hated me for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The doc would have never sat still for. No. You know? <laughs> and uh, so, but yeah. I, I think to myself that, okay, if I'm out and about and I'm doing whatever I'm doing and I just take the 35, if I cannot get the photo that I want for whatever reason with that, I'm just making note in my head that, one day I'm going to come back to this place and I will bring my gear and yeah. I'll make a very specific point of coming to do that particular photo or that area or whatever it might be. Yeah. We, mm. Yeah. Perhaps we'll go on another trip. And well, I mean, that was, that was actually, I mean? see, this was, that's true because um, there was one. Cause it's a bit more fun going to do those kind of portraits with another photographer. Uh, there, I mean, there's that. Rather so, than lumbering your family with. <laughs> well, uh, th there is that. Uh, yeah. There's, we were driving through one area um, called the uh, Exmoor. Yeah, yeah. Which is basically, yeah. there's two moors, Dartmoor and Exmoor in, in Devon. And we're driving through Exmoor and it's, it's the most stunning landscape. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a bit like Mars, like prairie on Mars. And then before you know it, like there's sheep everywhere. And then with like, you know, wild horses on the road. It was just like, it was beautiful. Just the perfect, just going into golden hour. It was just mind bogglingly awesome. I mean, even to the point where my wife even said, we should stop somewhere and take photos. Good God. She never says that. Well, nice. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it was, it was stunning. But, um, but then, you know, immediately I thought like, right, you know, that'd be a cool place to come back to. Like for us to do a little trip or something, yeah. you know, and actually actually go there with just with that in mind, sort of thing. Um, because you know, my wife, she was she was uh, she was okay with like just stopping by the roadside and let me take some snaps, you know. But like, I, I couldn't have been like lying in wait for the sun to be in a certain place or something like that. You know? Just one more hour. Yeah. Just, just more. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the iPad. iPad for everybody. Come on, let's do yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's part of the game, guys. Hey, you know, on my photo tour again, not plugging in the least, but as part of this, it's part of what you you got to think about as a photographer. Mm -hmm. For the open tours, I I let them bring a plus one who can't take any photos whatsoever, not even the smartphone sort of thing. Although I'll, I'll let them take one or two for memory of us. Mm -hmm. 
And it's basically just to pay it back for all those times that we say, oh, just two more minutes or honey, I need a thousand euros for a lens. Oh, it's, it's okay. I'll sell my old 200 euro lens for 50 bucks to help finance it. And all these things that we try and get away with. It's, uh, it's, you know, I, I call it the chocolates, uh, flowers and chocolates philosophy. You basically just make sure to pay them back. The little thank you at the end, the flowers and chocolate, either on the appropriate days or better yet, when they don't expect it. Because you're obliged on those days, but when you do it out of the blue, it's like, you rock. You can have that lens. You go. <laughs> and all these little I'm bits taking relationship advice from you, man. That's yeah. good. That is good. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I went off on a thing because <laughs> with the plus something. one, I end up talking about this stuff all the time. We learn uh, something every week on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Awesome. How to get lens lens buying brownie points in five easy steps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How to buy a new lens and keep your wife happy at the same time. <laughs> there are five not so easy steps, though. It's the long term work. That's how she has to keep me out. How to change camera system and not get divorced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how to get laid and get the lens. Well, you, you I don't know. Millions. Is that the right? What? You could make millions of yeah, that. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm glad I didn't if you offend the format of your show. That's, by a, the looks that's of a whole it. other podcast, I think. I'm sure there's one out there. <laughs> we haven't really spoken about your, your podcast yet um, because you're um, hosting the, um, the that photo feeling podcast. Mm. How did you get started with that? Like, what made you start a podcast in the first place? Good question. It was uh, entirely stage fear. Anytime I get recorded, I used to really freeze up or just feel mm-hmm. tremendously nervous. I mean, I've had conf- confidence issues over the ages. ADHD is a gift for photography, but it mm. it causes a little awkwardness some t- sometimes. So that's part of it. But fundamentally, guys, I uh, just wanted to make sure seeing that where photography was going, and especially that I had a good voice with people with the photo tour and educating and all that, mm. that I had to get over this stuff. So I started the podcast fundamentally to do those 10,000 photos, but in a podcast way. I did uh, six episodes the first season, and I thought that went all right. But uh, basically, I left it for a bit because the tour got busier. I also have ADHD, so sometimes projects that I I can only prioritize so much in the balance of things Mm -hmm. go to the back of my brain. And about Two, three years later, I realized that I was doing okay at that and also just wanted to do it more, but in a slightly different way, because you guys have each other to bounce off of. When I do my solo episodes, it's it's talking into the void, and especially in those early days where you're just kind of, you know, not freaking out about it, but it's on your mind, the whole reality of the situation. Uh, I figured I had to start doing interviews or I'd go nuts. So I started a lot more interview segments, and then basically that got a nice momentum. Apparently, I'm reasonably good at asking good questions, Mm -hmm. or at least pissing around enough that people are off guard and tell me stuff that I I can (laughs) say. You you didn't know that, hey! Scott Scott Kelby wrote a Jesus book, (laughs) that kind of stuff, (laughs) yeah. He did, too. I got to talk to to him about the, uh, on the show. Yeah. And that's also what I enjoyed about doing the show. I mean, you guys have a very similar vibe, too. I heard it with Hurley, and and I can feel it now. You're not just here to drill me about photography for the whole segment and the whole thing. I mean, it's the same on my photo tours. Even an open tour is two hours. And, you know, it's four maximum on my group. If it's going to be full with that and plus ones, they're going to go bi- go keep themselves busy. And we're, we're going to end up chatting. But 
even with a full group, I don't end up talking photography for two hours. No. You know, we talk about Bruges, we talk about this, we talk about, they end up asking me about me or or stuff that's totally off topic from photography in one way or another. And I actually think it works better because it gives the brain time to settle this knowledge that's being crammed yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just as far as the podcast has grown and evolved and why I do it and I guess continue to do it and even now do like a live show on, on uh, Sundays just to like recap my week in Bruges, if nothing. Mm. And Clubhouse, it's just that I've always fundamentally loved having conversations, loved talking, all that sort of thing. And the more I did the podcast and now this other stuff, the more I get out of my own way and just get on with things and hopefully make something interesting. Hmm. Was that a good, hmm. a good way um, for you to, to kind of keep yourself busy as well? Like during the pandemic when i mean i'm guessing I'm especially guessing. during the pandemic yeah. yeah it had been going before that especially the rejuvenation into interview mm. interviews uh for the majority of it the pandemic i you know funnily enough and and i haven't even mentioned it i guess last year for the for when everything collapsed as far as photo tours i mean five percent business over the entire year of a normal one I hadn't had a holiday properly in a good four or five years. I mean, Canada for a week is great for family, but it's a lot of transit and it's family time more than anything else. So it's not really full holiday proper to me, also including the beach. So I spent part of last year just relaxing and sleeping and just kind of resetting the clock a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did, sorry, just to answer your question on that, I mean, certainly it was good for the podcast because I was also able to get guests who normally would be running around like crazy. Mm -hmm. But I probably underused the situation only because during the beginning of it, when everybody was really locked down and schedules meant that we all had time, I was I was catching up on sleep partly. So it kept me busy, but yeah. I was also keeping myself busy by not being busy, kind of like that last trip to India with three months on a hammock yeah. in a local area. But that's also not a bad thing. No, that, no, I, I, no, I think it's we necessary. All, all need that, you know? Yeah, we do. We do. One of the, you know, I'll do respect to my, my, my native North American brothers and sisters, but compared to Europe and you guys are working yourself to death with two weeks holiday, yeah. a bit of a lottery, yeah. on, depending on the border side on, on, mm -hmm. on, uh, Medicare, all these things, they're, they're not good for your photography because you're burning out the battery mm -hmm. before you even have a chance to go run out there for a camera. You know, the yeah. photography will be part of that therapy, but to me, I, I'm happy to do a hard day's work. I busted my ass as a waiter, bartender, all this, all these mm -hmm. things in catering for 10 years, if nothing else. I have a small business for nine years, and I have to keep that rolling even on a, you know, a basic level. You got to do your work. But first off, what's the point if you don't have some sort of reward like time off and a balance of things? But also, you're just going to, you know, the, the camera isn't the only thing that needs a battery. And if you don't charge it up or keep it at, at, at least 10% before a holiday, you, you're not going to take the best photos possible. Best photos I take are when I'm totally relaxed, whether it's a thousand Indians around me, whether it's in my backyard of Bruges running around City Hall where they all know me and I don't have to worry about anything. It's when I'm just basically not stressing about other stuff. Yeah. You can't escape it, but you can find a balance, I think, in life. Too true. Yeah, balance is, true. Balance is like, yeah. it's really everything. I think, you know, the, uh, you know, when it, when it came to the sort of whole lockdown um, experience, you know, for, for me, it was finding the balance between, you know, my own creative ADHD 
kind yeah. of need to create, but um, yeah. keeping my family on an even keel because yeah. you know you got to deal with their worries because they're all worried in for for you know a variety of different reasons, obviously. Yeah. Um, and and at the same time, you know, trying to not fall into the trap of uh, it, I'm. It's very easy for me to just basically fall into the like, right, I'm gonna spend a day on a couch watching Netflix, and I'm gonna do the same thing tomorrow, and then I'm gonna binge watch another series. I'm exactly the same. You know, and it's it's easy for me to fall into that trap. And I think I mean this this, you know, and again I say this all the time, but our listeners know the story inside out, I guess. Um that is really at the um at, at the at the very start of when we first started this podcast, it was I think we both gotten to the point where we're like we were realizing that something had to change. Like we had to do something. This thing yeah. wasn't going to be over in three weeks. And it's yeah. amazing how quickly that started to kick in. Yeah, very quickly, yeah. very quickly. You know? We really, uh, we indulged ourselves with the relaxation to begin with, right? And Yeah, but but if you think about it, I mean, we, we basically, um, the, the lockdown came into place um, at the end of, very end of March. And I think mm -hmm. we had the first episode together uh, by the end of April. So we gave ourselves three weeks. Yeah. Um, and right. after three weeks, I think it became very obvious at that point that this wasn't going to be just a month out, you know, mm. this, like there was no end in sight. And, mm. you know, and I always say this, you know, we got to, the, we, we got to the point where you'd wake up in the morning and you didn't even care what day it was anymore. You know, and it's, it was just like, I still don't, well, there's that, <laughs> but you know, but, but it's like something we just had to do something. And so, um, it you know, sounded like a good idea at the time. I mean, little did we know, of course, that this was going to become a weekly, um, discipline that, you know, we've, we've, we've been, mm -hmm. we've been doing ever since. And it's, yeah, it's been fun. This is number 59, you said. Yeah. So you haven't really taken many weeks off by the sounds of it. Any. We've taken no, we don't take every off. single week. <laughs> so you're doing, you're doing better than me. My, my one man show and, and my D, my ADHD sometimes knock that sequence way off. Mm. So, so you're winning guys. It, it, it's, a little, hey, it, it's a little easier for us in respect because there's two of us. Mm. Mm we've got a responsibility to each other yeah, that's to true. make sure that we're there. That's and then you've helpful. also got me kicking his ass. No, 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 let's get this done by there. And he, he then kicks my ass, but you can't do that. We got to, do you know what I mean? And, and it's yeah. a, I liken it a little bit too, because I've, I've been getting into exercise and gym style stuff the last sort of 18 months or so, right? Mm. Yep. And when you go to the gym with somebody else, you're far more focused and you're more oh, yeah. likely to go than if you were just going on your own. And it's the same kind of thing. If you've got someone else that you've got responsibility to, yeah, yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen. So in that respect, it's definitely easier uh, for us to, to keep, keep things going every week. As if I was doing it on my own, it wouldn't happen. The, the first couple of seasons, last year I stopped doing it just to simplify the show for me, even though it was somebody doing something for me. I had a sound producer who would go through the whole thing just for the ticks and clicks and all that sort of stuff. Insert some music. I mean, it's not especially hard. I know how to use all this stuff and I even I, I do them now. But uh, at the end of the day, it was already another step of complication. Not that the guy was slack at all, but it was a side project for him because we're friends. So he'd yeah. never charge me. Also, I had some leftover vinyl, so I'd force it on him anyways. Mm -hmm. But having that extra layer of complication with someone was a complication because 
he wasn't part of the show actively. He was just coming and going, right. you know, you're my friend, you're my buddy. I couldn't care less about photography. Yeah. Here's your sound clean. Here's some music, music drops. And when you have each other to feed off of, I mean, you're going to fire off on the practical side, obviously, like you say, but also just with the energy of it overall creatively and just getting it done. Yeah. You know, this, this is what you see in photography when we go out in more than groups of one. This is what I see with my tour all the yeah. time. When, like I said, with Photo Buddy, it's great, especially when you're, when you're rocking on, on, the, uh, on the levels of, of experience mm -hmm. to go out there and have fun and be the lone wolf for two hours. But it's also nice just to have someone to bounce off of. Oh, for sure. And then yeah. you throw into the mix, whether it's a photo guide or, or whatnot, just having someone who lives there who can fill in some stuff, who can say... You know, at a basic level, that's where you go, not over there for your food and your shot, obviously. You might want to think about this, that, and the other. It's that it's that creative bounce and, I mean, community, certainly, that just, yeah. whether it's a tribe of two or 2,000, you all exactly. feed off of each other. Yeah, well, and you guys got we, that going. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things we did hmm. uh, right from the beginning, really, was that we set ourselves photo challenges, like hmm. photo or video challenges. And so... Um, so in, in the beginning, like, again, this, this goes back, like, you know, to like April, May, June, July mm. last year. Um, you know, when we were really confined to our houses, I mean, back in the UK at that time, you were, yeah. we were allowed to go outside for 45 minutes a day for exercise. And that was it. It was Same total here. house arrest, you know? And so we, um, you know, we, we, we used the podcast to give our week structure because we knew we were going to record on a Monday and we we're going to release it um, on a on a Thursday. And that was our weekly structure. So we always, in a sense, mm -hmm. always knew where we were in the week because we knew we had these kind of pillars. But then at the same time, we uh, gave ourselves creative challenges. So there'd be like, you know, each week pretty much, or for quite a few weeks, there'd be like a photo challenge. So it'd be like, okay, uh, our challenge this week is going to be flat lace. So now we're going to have to think about shooting a flat lay like what's it going to be you know blah, blah blah and then we did um we did a video challenge for example was there like a particular theme to that i can't remember lockdown oh lockdown yeah so we basically said okay we're gonna have, we're gonna have to create a video about lockdown and that's that's all or a, a, a day in a life our, a, a our day days. in a life yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. it yeah. Mm, that makes, so, it, makes know, sense so we just like gave ourselves a little challenge and it, it challenges creatively and then of course we we'd have ammunition for the following week because we could talk about um our project and how we went about shooting this or you know of course of course you know, i saw that. you were walking through some some like projects and things between episodes with guests yeah and so you yeah. know in the beginning ah. we would like you know we would challenge each other mm. um and then you know when we, when we started having guests on eventually it got into the thing like where you know we would challenge a guest to a challenge between the three of us or we would get challenged by a guest mm. to do something and so it's so the, the kind of side, um, the sort of side arm of this is that that we we end up in these photo challenges um, that we either put upon ourselves because yeah. we can't keep our mouths shut, mm -hmm. or <laughs> somebody says, "Here's a challenge for you." And we're like, "Oh, okay, we'll yeah. do it." So you know, so um, so yeah, so it kept us it kept us sane creatively as well as actually just doing something. Um, I mean, you know, when we first started this, we didn't. There was no way we'd think that a year later we would still be doing this more than a year more than a year later yeah yeah, I mean, yeah. you know and we because i think we we joked you know at the beginning we joked we said like oh by episode 100 we're going to invite all of our guests and we're going to throw a massive party but we're 
Not f- that far we're off. Fifty nine. <laughs> so you know, we're like way past halfway point. We can't do it in my house. It's too small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know, I, I think it's probably the same for you. I guess you know, just by talking to other people, you know, whether that's people that uh, you you know you admire as a photographer, um, or people that you got to know along the way. Yeah. Um, what what binds you together and what's really interesting is that we're all in the same boat. You know, we've all lived through the same experience um, over the mm. last year. We've, we've all dealt with it either in similar ways or in different ways. And so it's an education every time because the amount of times that, you know, we've had a conversation with the guests and they, you know, we're talking about their experience, you know, over the last year or something, they say something, you go, yes, that's it. That's a yeah. great way to think about this or, you know, and so it's it's actually we we started this as self therapy, almost mm. you could say. Likewise, absolutely, you know? yeah. yeah. Well, that makes a ton of sense to me. I mean, that's what I really enjoyed and still enjoy a huge amount from the the interview episodes, and I think I'm going to make it a dominant thread as we as I move forward with the mm. thing, because whether it's whether it's in real life, whether it's through a podcast or, or just a phone call, whether it's through Clubhouse, as we've been doing over the last few months, because mm. we're all stuck on the desk for a while, so why not tune into a bunch of other photographers? It's 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 bouncing off each other and getting that creative energy up through that that collaboration and bouncing around. The really interesting thing about having a guest on the show is that you get to know the person. You know, most yeah. people, I mean, I always think this, like if somebody comes to watch an episode uh, because they see the name Peter Hurley or, or Joel Grimes, right? They most likely already know who Joel Grimes is. Precisely. So they most likely already know his work. They probably have seen, uh, you know, tutorial videos that he's done, uh, whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, they already know all this stuff. We don't really need to talk about any of that. You know, what is re- what makes the whole thing really interesting is the person because it's that dimension that is is what's new yeah um and i think um it was uh it was moose peterson uh, who who said um what we, what we did the show with him he said like oh you know it was really refreshing because you know we, we were chatting for two hours and nobody ever uh, mentioned the word f-stop even once mm. <laughs> and it's true we, we hardly talked about photography in that yeah. <laughs> episode you know um I go for the same text. It should be about the cameras and photography world a little bit, but it yeah. should be about the person fundamentally, especially the famous ones. Like I said with Kelby, I mean, I asked, mm-hmm. I was dying to ask him, not because I'm, I'm, I'm huge on Jesus or anything, I got no problem, but I want to know why he'd write a Jesus book. I think sure. it's an interesting comment on him as a, himself. He's an author, too, of all these books. And basically, I mean, I saw it a little bit in scratching the research. Mm. He did it because he's an author and he has his faith. He wanted to talk to Jesus about people. And in this case, luckily, he wasn't interested in shoving at anyone's face. It's not at all on the Kelby One website or anything. So no. those human elements should all connect together. Exactly. When I had early on, I was I was delighted that we had ADHD in common. Because I mean, you you guys know the guy even before the interview. He bounces around and he's full of energy and he's spinning six plates. So that sort of stuff is uh, yeah. is the real gold, in my opinion, if if they're established. Absolutely. And this is the stuff that you, as a, as a listener or you know as you know aspiring photographer or whatever it may be, that you start understanding these parts of your you know your idols you know, kind of personalities and what's going, yeah. you start to understand 
where they've been coming from with their photography to a certain Precisely. extent, you know, and the more that they share, the more you know that person, you go, God, this makes, I get it. Yeah, I yeah. get it. I know yeah. why he thinks about things in this way a bit better. I know yeah. why he takes photos in the way that he's taken them a bit better. Yeah. It's really changed yeah. my approach to photography in so many different ways. Um, you know, just, just speaking to people um, about, about all sorts of different things. Like Joel made some really good um, comments, I think, when he was talking about personal projects mm. and like doing test shoots and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And, um, you know, for years I've always... I've, you know, I've always kind of sort of battled with myself, like thinking, you know, am I wasting my time doing this, you know, doing this, these personal projects or these, these tests because I want to do them. You know, it's like, I just have fun doing those environmental portraits or whatever yeah. elaborate things because I'm thinking I'm wasting time because I could be earning money in that time. I could be doing something commercial in that time, but I'm not, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm shooting myself floating in the air just because I like doing it. Yeah. Right. And, and it was, there was something interesting. Um, I think he said, uh, you know, uh, well, it went along the lines of like, he does at least one test shoot every week and he's done that for 50 years or whatever. And because that's how it, you get better at photography. And I, you know, that's, and then it sort of just dawned on me, uh, you know, don't on me that, that that's really why I'm doing it because I want to experiment with these things. And they're different from the different from the, from the things that I normally do on a commercial level, you mm -hmm. know, they're different from doing headshots and they're different from um, photographing shampoo bars, mm -hmm. which is what I've been doing for the last <laughs> couple of weeks. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just like, yeah. they're just more fun. And I'm practicing, I'm practicing lighting techniques, I'm practicing um, composition, I'm, I'm practicing Photoshop See, skills. I mean, it's just, you know, it's- See, You're, you're like me in that respect. I, if I'm doing something where I'm learning, if I'm being taught something, if I am doing whatever research I'm doing to learn or to mm. practice something that I'm just learning, I, I'm not, I couldn't be happier. Mm. That's when I'm at my best. That's when I'm, I, I've got a massive smile on my face because I'm learning mm. how to do something. I'm learning something new. I'm trying mm. out a new technique. And if I've done it before or I've done it a few times, I'm not having as much fun anymore. If it's new and I'm learning, God, I'm all over it. It doesn't actually matter what it is to a certain extent. Yeah. It's new and I'm learning. Uh, it's just the way I, I am. Well, mate, you're learning, but more importantly, you're discovering. Yeah. Right. And that can hit a huge area yeah. of the brain. I mean, I remembered what we were talking about before the break, too, was, was doing the podcast and getting to talk to other photographers and all that side of things. That's, that's the greatest joy of this. I mean, if you get to sit down with geez, a bozo like me or Peter Hurley or who, or Joel Grimes or whoever, mm. you get to have that interaction, that learning, that discovery about the person, especially you get beyond the surface. So you're scratching into like what makes them tick to make them that individual as a mm. creative, which is a fundamental discussion and part of being a photographer. So, so that's to me what it's all about. I mean, this is this is a little bit contrary to the process I've had in the past and I've changed actually over the last three to four months, especially with Clubhouse coming into my life and, and years with the photo community. Mm. I've been working a bubble process traditionally where mm. essentially I'm trying not to look at other photographers or certainly dig into them. You know, like I love Steve Curry's work and I could, I could talk about any of the works, this, that, the other, that was taken there. This was for that. That was for that. But I can't, tell you until I looked up two days ago after somebody asked, 
what was his setup as a photographer? Was he going out with a crew? Was he just waking up one morning and going, okay, hmm. translator, come with me. Off we go, which is his process, which funnily enough has been mine. Because I wanted to figure out my own process, whether it was as a photographer, as a podcaster, as as anything creative, even in the DJ times to a large extent. I mean, you certainly got to learn off of people and and imitation and and not even imitation, just copying what they're doing in the healthy way of learning is absolutely critical. But at the same time, I, I found I had a good knack at it on my side of things. I could reverse engineer pretty much everything I wanted to do. So I made a conscious decision early on. I got to be in this bubble because that'll bring out the best of my my own voice towards what I want to do as a creative. And I'm a firm believer, and I, I, I'm sure, Kirsten, you've heard me say this on Clubhouse because I'll scream until the day I die. You know, <laughs> play your own song and get the audience to come with you. Mm. You know, if you want to do if you want to do something huge and commercial, and I'm not judging you in the least on that, play the hit that'll get the most listens, largest reach, and everyone going, "Oh my God!" <laughs> if you want to do your thing and you're happy doing your thing, and hey, maybe it could lead to God status as Beatles or Rolling Stones or whatever. But if not, and you shouldn't care about that, I think, to do your creative business right, whether it's business or creative, you you should be figuring out your inner voice, how you want to do something. And unfortunately, a byproduct of all this information age and everything is that sometimes those voices can get in your ear and help mm -hmm. and push you up, but at the same time, take you away from that inner voice, trying to come up from the heart and even the head. Exactly what that is. Deep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I mean, you mentioned Clubhouse. Um, so yeah. Clubhouse is really something that's, um, you know, I've been nuttering on about for the last couple of months. It's have you? Have I? Well, what yeah. is this Clubhouse? <laughs> this Clubhouse thing you speak of? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm a relative. I'm a relatively new adopter to uh, to Clubhouse. I've only really been. Mm. Um, well, I've only really known of its existence maybe for the last three months. I think think something something like that. Um, and I found it really, um, it's been really quite inspiring. You know, the amount of people you end up um, talking to, the amount of conversations you end up having, yeah. um, and the amount of people you end up getting to know via Clubhouse as well. That's been that's been one of the, I think, one of the most astonishing aspects of it is that as opposed to like other social media platforms like Instagram or Facebook or whatever, maybe Twitter, um, you don't really get to know people that well. I mean, you start posting, you start liking people's posts and whatever. It's all very removed and all very kind of third party, you know. Layered. Um, layered. On, uh, yeah, layered. Yeah, it's totally layered. Barriers. On Clubhouse, however, you literally speak to another human in real time mm -hmm. right there. And, mm -hmm. um, you you know, you immediately, you're able to build up a connection. Um, yeah. Which which I find phenomenal, and you know I say this as somebody who when when I first heard about the the concept of of Clubhouse in the very beginning, I kind of thought this is never going to fly. An audio platform, forget about it. But it makes you, <laughs> it makes you realize how lacking the world has been with that type of communication with yeah. people over the last five, ten, fifteen years or or, or so, and the people very are much. actually crying out for it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, guys, it strips away all those layers and it strips away everything that can get a little bit distracting or mm -hmm. or or basically stress you up about social media, which mm -hmm. means no likes, 
no no worries about like how many people like me or whatever or am i saying the right thing and i'm getting a blip i'm getting that bit of cheese from the machine because i did something right there's no pictures to distract you or any visuals beyond a, a profile photo which personally as a photographer i love because i'm there to talk about photography not have somebody go oh let's all okay show me a photo okay load me this load me that Okay, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna all show our favorite five photos. No, screw that. Yeah. If we really want to do a room like that on Clubhouse where it's audio only, connect to Instagram and post your photo for the day, being that, and we can do something through that. But having none of that noise, not even messaging right now, although that's coming and you can do it through through Instagram or whatever, I think that is the genius of Clubhouse. And it's all because then you can just focus on each other's voices. Mm, I mean, yeah. as soon as we can click our headphone wires to speak, then we're not even staring at the screen as much, yeah. which also could save this app because then we'll be able to walk around and have normal lives while clicking, well, you know, as things open up. That's the thing, you know, I, I've gotten into the habit um, of listening to Clubhouse whilst I'm editing, like many, yeah. many creatives do, I think. Mm. Uh, you know, and it's uh, it's only when I really have to focus on something really, really hard that I find it distracting. But generally, if I'm just doing, you know, straight up Lightroom edits or whatever. Yeah. I've got a question, question for you both. So I've not really delved too much into Clubhouse, but mm. the more I keep hearing about it, the, the more... I, I want to. Uh, either way, right? We're wearing you down. Good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. So, question for you both. Have... Do you join any rooms which are not photography related? Uh, I've well, yeah, I've joined a few, mm -hmm. um, but I find myself always um, being like drawn back to photography related yeah. subjects, just because yeah. I'm interested in. It. And yeah. of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the great thing about Clubhouse, in a sense, is that you know it's it's interest based. It's like this blend. It's interest based in a sense like Instagram, you know, where hashtags depict your interests. But at the same time, you get notified when people that you follow are in 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 different rooms or whatever. And that's a little bit like Facebook where, you know, you get notifications from your friends. So it's kind of it's this blend of, of, of different things. So you can easily stalk someone. That's, is that what you're saying? Well, it's not that easy because it's just, you show up when you join a room. I mean, there's no secret stalking there. This, I mean, this is the other thing. I know there's been a discussion on Clubhouse as to whether it'd be a good idea to, to, uh, to allow you to make yourself sort of invisible or something, but you yeah, can't that's do that. a big discussion with us. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I would, you know, my, my in my view, I actually like the fact that you can't you can't really stalk anybody because it's blatantly so obvious that if, you're in the room. If you're in an audio so, type room, if you like, it's a bit like being on a conference call in uh, at work. It is, in my view, unacceptable to not know everybody who's in that room and can hear things that you are saying. If you post something mm. on social media, you know everybody connected to you and outside of those people will be able to read it. I, yeah. You you should not be able to be invisible. No, I I mean, that's, I, that's yeah, not I agree. cool. I agree. I mean, there's probably there's, there's arguments on on both sides. Um, I just, I mean, personally, you know, I don't know. I like to li sometimes I like to get involved and be part of the conversation because I feel that I have something to contribute because we're talking about something or sometimes you know it's just a hangout room like sometimes we just all hang out and yeah. we'll talk about what are we up to right now you know i don't know we were chatting i think it was setting up for a photo shoot the other day and we were having a yeah. chat you know yeah, exactly. whilst it was happening and it was definitely more interesting than not having a chat <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
um, at a time. And like sometimes, you know, we're in rooms where, you know, there's a discussion about something and you feel like you can, maybe somebody has a question, you feel you have an answer. And so you can actually help somebody um, by contributing, you know. Um, and sometimes there are rooms where I just like to listen because, because um, you know, there's a subject that, that people who really know what they're talking about are talking about something. And I feel like I can learn something just by, just by listening. Yes. Yeah, I can I can agree with a lot of that. I I I do prefer the photo rooms in Club S overall, especially since let's just say it, it is not the most efficient app for time. So you do have to par portion it out a little bit. I actually think that's where this app will survive because so many of us are stuck at the desk for editing. I think I, I mentioned it earlier when we grazed past Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I mean on that side of things, and also with photography on my mind on the desk, I find it really good uh accentuation to my editing lockdown time if nothing else yeah. but at the same time within reason i do make sure that i go to other rooms there's finding your voice with dylan blau and I, mm. he's been in in clubhouse since the start and he's not the easiest figure for everybody he's sometimes quite controversial but He's not being an he's not being an ass, and it leads to some amazingly spirited debates. He'll put everybody on stage. He doesn't care if it's your first day on Clubhouse or you have ten thousand followers or anything in between, as long as you bring value to the conversation. It sort of pr proves how Clubhouse works, where good manners kick in when you're just kicked back to this basic stuff of 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 uh, human voice and just conversation. So those I get into, especially since it. Uh, he just hit some amazing topics, including the whole metaverse of where's Clubhouse going. I mean, you hold a Clubhouse room on that. It's kind of trippy, but it, that's also for him just a jumping off point. So those kind of rooms I dig. And this is where I think Clubhouse is also going to evolve. I mean, photography, let's say comedy or just general discussion, social discussion. And for me, the travel industry has been very, very active on Clubhouse. And since I have a travel-based business with the photo tour, that's been fascinating to listen to because I've gotten a lot of information over the last year on what, what the industry side of all this lockdown and uh, how we're going to get the hell out of this is going down. Hmm. Also dating. I think that... Yeah, shoot your shot, obviously. <laughs> I mean, don't tell the missus. <laughs> a, but... a lot of dating groups on Clubhouse. Does your wife know about this? Um, well, my wife, is actually, my wife is actually on Clubhouse too. So, uh, you know, I, I have to behave myself. Which I would, I would anyway. You know? That's why uh, you uh, need that invisible profile, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, tech, I mean, technically speaking, you know, I could say whatever I wanted on this podcast because my wife has, in fact, never actually listened to even a single one of these episodes. Smart, smart, smart. <laughs> you know, so... So yeah, I'm she sick. doesn't even know you're doing it. She just thinks you go over to Nick's house to hang out for a couple nah, hours. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I can I can get away with anything. I could just say I'm going podcasting. She'd be like, "Yeah, what's that?" <laughs> that's how my wife thinks of Clubhouse, frankly. Well, yeah, she loves it. She she loves me. Let's say first and foremost, and she doesn't mind great discussion. She loves that I've reconnected to well connected to the photographic community at large as but as well as a bunch of other stuff but uh it's just not for her she doesn't see the value she'd read yeah. she she said at most she'd go on to listen she'd be an audience mm -hmm. member for a couple hours but if she wants to talk to people she'll go see them and that's a good starting point though isn't it you know because mm -hmm. it gets you used to the rooms and yeah. at some point there'll be something will be said 
that you won't be able to stop yourself from saying something to, whether you disagree <laughs> with it or agree with it or whatever, something will spark a bit of passion about yep. whatever topic and you'll go, Oh, right, and then you're in. Yeah, and sometimes, <laughs> that's what you know, I'm I mean, open. <laughs> I mean, for, you know, for me, it, it was really, um, you know, at first, of course, you you listen because you want to figure out how this thing works and what's going on and how how this whole app actually functions and what is happening. Um, but then, of course, I think for most people at the very beginning, it's it's a thing where you have to, you know, you have to conjure up the nerves to actually say something. Yeah. It's yeah. uh, and it's much easier to listen, and that's probably what's quite scary about it. If you're in a meeting at work, or you're in Zoom meeting, or whatever it might be, mm. no worries. You know all the people that are there. You yeah. you know who they are, or whatever they be. But these are people that you've never met. That's you've it. Maybe never spoken to before. If, if you've heard them on a room, that's where that's where a good moderator comes in, though. Because I remember um, I was in a room. The first time I actually said anything at the very beginning was when I think it was in a room with Stefan. Oh, and, Stefan's uh, a legend over there for yeah, sure. So Stefan Bollinger. And he basically, he just went, Hey, Kirsten, how are you? What's your thing? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, he's talking to me. What? That was my name. He's talking to me. He's talking to me. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. and then of course, you've got to say something. Yep. You Especially know. this was a behind the lens room, wasn't it? Where they actively invite people up, yeah, whether yeah, they're was, new yeah. or not. Yeah. That's exactly how I started Clubhouse. And I can't. I think it was Danny, Danny Mitchell, who was right, my yeah. first, uh, my first hand. He has, has it going, hmm. but that's also part of what I do love about the platform. Cause I talked about it earlier with the podcast. I I've had issues in confidence and speaking out public, uh, speaking out in public. You know, when I do my tours, it's a very comfortable space, especially nine years down the track of doing, doing this and really, and also having a bunch of kick-ass reviews to reinforce the confidence. But I felt it actively where after that first day on Clubhouse, I'm like, I'm loving this. And I can see no problem getting on stage, especially after having done the podcast and gotten over the hump of confidence. Mm. But at the same time, I somehow, it somehow ticked in my brain and I basically went back to zero on the confidence meter and had to rebuild it over the last, uh, well, the first like month I was on there. Uh, I'd be afraid to talk or contribute something or just not, even, you know, I mean, certainly you, got, you guys, Nick, you've heard Clubhouse at least a couple of times. So, you know, yep. there has to be a little bit of a knack of hopping in at the end of the conversation and and taking your place and doing the whole thing. Uh, that side of things, I've, I've never really had a gift and the podcast only helped me so far, even with the interviews to develop. So when you land in a room like behind the lens and especially you get someone like Steph, Stefan, who's a really good moderator. He was also he's also like worked in in the entertainment industry for presenting, interviewing, all that side of things for like fifteen years. Mm-hmm. So you're in good hands with that. That's where, even though as I say, I stumbled and sort of somehow reset the clock. You rebuild. You rebuild so quickly, or you build up so quickly. On a nor, you know, I've looked back at this and. I know that if it wasn't somewhere like Clubhouse, especially some of the right rooms, which I think the photo community does especially well, we seem to be very civilized hanging out with each other in this bold new world. Uh, Then you can go, okay, I can start with this. And then step by step, hanging out in a room, not not more than your time should, obviously, because as I say, it's a time suck, but just building up that little bit of hay. Okay, yeah, I do know the answer to that question. Do you mind if I go? And then two days later, you're not saying, do you mind if I go? Because of course you're supposed to go, especially if the room is like, hey, let's all throw out answers. 
So, so I actually value that platform because I have confidence issues because it helps me with it. Mm. You know, it's like the cameras guys over and over until you just nail it down or at least get to a reasonable pace that you're not doubting yourself. You're not worried about others doubting you, which trust me, I'm speaking from sheer experience. 99 times out of a hundred is just you ragging on you. I hate my own voice. I think I sound broken and off pitch and everything, but some people tell me I I sound like friggin' James Spader or whatever else. (laughs) I don't know. I'll take Robert California or Ultron. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, all that comes from the process. And even just to to sort of uh, conclude my thought on the whole Clubhouse experience and where it's evolved... As I mentioned, I've had a bit of a bubble process. And I mean, my my wife is awesome and super company and I have some friends around here. But at the end of the day, Bruges is a little bit limiting to someone who's grown up in a city and lived in London for three years and all these kind of experiences of more direct community. So the last four months on Clubhouse has just been perfect towards not only rebuilding my confidence, but getting regular exercise and doing those 10,000 hours of talking, Mm. having to make the brain connect to the mouth in the right way, not killing yourself when you fall over a word or stutter. I mean, Mm. you're both broadcasters by now. Every um that you hear, I'm sure you're just punching yourself in the face on the inside. No no one else cares. (laughs) But you get this whole trip in your head about it. So you just do your hours. And that's what Clubhouse for me was. And especially now moderating rooms. It's just, I feel that rhythm. And I can, and me and the wife were talking about it today from, from like tone to pacing all the way through to, to the words, hopefully connecting and being relatively of value. Uh, it's it's been like a whole rehab for the last three months towards getting my uh, my shit together. It's, uh, it's definitely a, I mean, it's a good it's a good practicing ground. I have stopped caring about any of the the gaps and the ums and the ahs. I think good. by the time by the time we got to episode fourteen, mm. I'd gotten used to the sound of my own voice, for the lack of good. a better word, and. Um, and then, and it was literally, I think it was a conversation that I had with my wife, actually. In fact, uh, when she said, you know, I was, we're talking about it, I was saying like, oh, you know, I, don't, I just can't stand the sound of my own voice because it sounds different from the way it sounds in my head and all that, you know, jazz. And she said, well, it sounds exactly the same to me. It's, it's, it's just the way you sound. And at that point, it was like, you realize that nobody else cares because, you know, those people who know me, they know the way I sound and I presumably sound the same on the podcast. Yeah. And those people who don't know me, well, they only hear me on the podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it, none of it matters, you know, at all, other than to me, yeah. apparently. So, you know, so that makes me the weakest link. Well, we're the same as photographers, aren't we? How many times do you hate your own work and you go like, going like, well, this is only a seven at best. And people are like, that should be in a museum. Yeah. That should at least be sold as a 10. Come on, buddy. Yeah, but you know, the Buka went to 3.2 instead of 2.8 because I didn't want to push it and get get it a little bit too bubbly. And I don't know. I could have done the edit just that much step better. And even if objectively through your standards, okay, fine, it's an eight. You're seeing those two points of mistake and nobody, everybody else is just seeing yep. eight points of awesome. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. That's the same with all all creatives with whatever it is you're doing. We're we're both musicians as well, right? And oh, dude, yeah, done it for years and years and years and years. And um, you know, we've played in bands over the time. And actually, actually, that's an 
another thing that's quite good for, you know, for for us is that we've been used to having to work with other people in a creative environment. So that's another another little tick as to why this works really well for us hmm. um, because we we're so used to having someone else to to be creative around. Mm. And you know it's. Yeah, I, I don't really know where I was going with that, but well, I think <laughs> part of your ten thousand hours, for- I assume, your ten thousand hours of getting good at something, yeah, whether yeah. It's like bouncing off each other for the show or just or just making groovier music, maybe. Yeah, well, we, I mean, yeah. we we bounce off each other all the time. I mean, you know, I might be working on a photo or something, you know, uh, you know, and uh, and I will always send it over to Nick. You know, if I'm like, you know if I want a second opinion or another set of eyes on it or just, you know, um, I'll send it over and he'll say, you know, whatever he'll say, like, oh, you know, I like it, but the highlights are a bit out or whatever. Right. Um, and then, you know, that makes me think, and I may agree with it or not. I mean, it doesn't matter, yeah. but at least, you know, it gives you, it gives you reason to think about it. And, you know, nine times out of 10, I go, yeah, actually I hadn't thought of that, yeah. you know? And so, and you know, with any goes, of those, whenever we do stuff like that, I always will always give my immediate reaction as well. Sure, yeah. Because I'm exactly. seeing it for the first oh, time fantastic. and I don't get to see it again for the first time. Mm. So it's an immediate reaction. And, you know, you might go, oh, yeah, maybe let's just say, that, oh, love that, love that, love that. I might tweak that and that. One mm. of those, if I've now let it settle, I may go, you know what, actually, no, that's really yeah, well, cool. I really like that. But it is having another set of eyes because you just see yeah, it a bit differently. Yeah. It's yeah, like... You know, I was just talking about this um, uh, from an uh, audio engineering perspective the other week. And if you mix your own song and you do engineering, mm. actually, it's a really good idea to have someone else master it yeah. because they will hear it in a different way to you. And mostly, you may have both have excellent ears, but you have created that piece of music. You've mixed that piece of music. You've heard it. 200 times now you no longer have a objective opinion a objective perspective on it you know no not even close someone else who does mastering who does that master and hears different music all the all the time can immediately go oh god 100 hertz is just too much it's too harsh here it's got too much sizzling in the top end whatever it might be and they'll go away and they'll just make it how it needs to be. And same, same's right with photography. Oh, totally know. true. My last, my last, well, my last book and the, the first book I did of Bruges, uh, being in Bruges and then the landscapes uh, during last year's lockdown, Unlocked and uh, Unlocked for Light. Mm-hmm. Both of those, when it came time to, once I'd choose that, uh, basically chosen out the photos, I pretty much did that on my own with a couple of B-sides put aside. The edits I did myself, but then I turned it over to a friend of mine who's a graphic designer, a color specialist, mm-hmm. and a photographer in, in working way, too, on top of it. So not just like a mate who's into this stuff. And he goes through everything and makes sure that I haven't done anything in a screw-up kind of way. Yeah. From the collection of photos, from where we're going from A to Z, to the color tones, to like, what about these B-sides? Should I consider these? Should I shave something out? Should I add something in? You need that, I think, at the end of the day, just to, if nothing else, like you said, you're not objective. And that's why I'm shouting out like, you're no, you're not objective. 
Yeah, I I gotta edit. I gotta the edit the episodes uh, for the podcast. So just like there, where I stuttered over a word, yeah. I have to hear that, and maybe I have to hear it three times as I work it out on the edit because it just doesn't doesn't yeah. keep the flow going. So you hear the mistakes and you hear them over and over again. And just like a photo, you know, you see that the buka that should have been just dropped down and taken up one more step on the aperture, and you can drive yourself yourself nuts over it. So you need someone to walk over and go, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. You could fix that and that and that, but actually the thing that you lost sleep on for the last three days, I didn't even notice it. <laughs> That's it. It's, you know, the only yeah. way that you can really get around that, uh, unless yeah. you have somebody to collaborate with, is yeah. uh, it's just by the usage of time. You know, I, yeah. I used to do this when I was a kid. Um, you know, I used to uh, I used to have one of these dictaphones. You know, the microtape dictaphone mm. things, and so I'd you know I'd play my guitar and I come up with a riff or, you know, uh, whatever, and or a guitar solo or something. And I'd practice it until I'd think like, well, this is like the dog's bollocks, basically. This is awesome, right? The best thing I've ever played. I'd record it. Then I put the tape in a shoebox and I leave it in a shoebox for six months and on purpose. And so I'd label it and I'd put it in there. And then six months later, I would go back and I would listen to the tapes from six months ago. And mm. without fail, you'd listen back to it and you go, no, that sounds like crap. Mm -hmm. You know, my timing's off, my rhythm's off, you know. Uh, what was I doing with that sound? My bands, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my bands are out, out of tune. It's just terrible. You know, so it gives you, it, it gives you back that little bit of objectivity when you haven't heard something. Because you, you basically, you're almost like, you know, you're, um, what's the word? Um, you're kind of you're fooling yourself by listening to something over and over and over yeah. again. It just you know yeah. it's like you're hypnotizing yeah. yourself into thinking yeah. it's great, you know, yeah. um, and you lose all yeah. sorts of objectivity. Absolutely, um, and this you know your judgment is completely impaired and out of the window. Totally. at that point. Totally. So when you have a collaborator, that's what I'm saying, in a very long-winded way, is that you know you have something that you can bounce off of immediately. You know, you don't have to wait six months. And frustratingly, it's because the human body is so amazingly, it, your eyes and your ears in particular adapt to what they're seeing and hearing within seconds, mm. minutes. So as soon as you've seen, simple example, whatever photo you're looking at and the white balance is off, you don't correct that straight mm. away. You suddenly get used to seeing it all green. Yeah, yeah it's like calibrating my screen. You that know, was fun. Uh, oh my God. You know? I, changed, I changed my computer um, not too long ago. And so I calibrated the screen for the first time the other day. Oh my God, what a shock I was in for. <laughs> yeah. You can't have that back, by the way. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 like, I like editing slightly on the warm side. That's just, I call it my style. It's just what I like. But hell was my screen warm. Oh my god, mm. that was terrible. <laughs> I've gone through that experience, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you look at a photo six months later and go, "What was I smoking that day when I edited oh, this thing?" Jesus, exactly. I really know better than this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's part of the process. That's exactly figuring it is. out. It's part. Of, it's certainly part of doing your ten thousand hours. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Right, so we have come to the end of Camera Take Podcast episode 59 with Andy McSweeney. Um, it was super awesome to have you on the show, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me, guys. 
And uh, of course, for those of you who are listening to uh, the audio version of this podcast, you can head over to um, YouTube and see us in full Technicolor there. Um, if just listening to our sultry voices isn't enough for you, of course. Um, alternatively, make sure you hit the subscribe button, um, hit that bell if you're on audio, leave us a little review. We've had some uh, really superb reviews coming in uh, recently and um, that always makes our day. So leave us a little, leave us a few lines. That'd be cool. Did, did you write them? I didn't write them. I did, even, I did not even write them. Good one. Oh, no, Thank right. you. Um, and of course, you know, we started the Camera Shake Podcast community. Just head over to camerashakepodcast.com, hit the little join our community button, and we will definitely not bombard you with weekly newsletters. We won't. Promise. So, see you there. That's it. See you next week. Bye.